so we're so we're in the third week of our Can I Get a Witness series, and you all know the song, evidently, because I just heard you all sing it, kind of impromptu. That was that was kind of fun. So I was not singing, and you were appreciative. So that worked out well. So why do we do this series? We did this series for a couple of reasons. One, and very practical reason, was we wanted to give Ross and Emily a break because you know when you're a pastor, there's there's only 52 days out of the year that you work, right? Because they just work on Sunday. But but it also means that there's like never a week when you're not working, so you don't get a break. There's not a vacation. There's not a, a time off. But we wanted to give um, Ross particularly uh, an extended break, and so this gave him an opportunity to have a couple of weeks off where he didn't have to produce a sermon week after week. Um, but we also wanted to have the opportunity for you to get to know some of the elders. Well, actually, all the elders, because you will by next week have seen them all. Um, and so you've met Wayne, and you've met Kevin, and Tim was up here as well, and myself. Um, and then Tim will be leading and interviewing somebody next week as well. So, so who am I? Well, I'm probably the most visible of all the elders because you've seen me up here, and I've preached a few times if you've been around for a while. But my name is Brian Hughes. Um, I'm actually the chairman of the elders, which is a title probably more than anything else. Um, and so what, what brings me to be an elder? Like, how did I ever get here? And so when I was young, I grew up uh, in a Christian family, and my very first memories um, are of becoming saved, getting to know Jesus. When I was maybe four years old, I was sitting in front of the television with my mom, and she was watching the 700 Club back in the 70s. And uh, Pat Robertson was talking about heaven and hell, and I was old enough to understand that I wanted to go one of those two places and not the other place, right? And so I real simply said to my mom, like, how do I go to heaven? And she explained the gospel to me. She said that Jesus came and he died, and because he rose from the dead, he paid for our sin. And And she said, you've made bad choices, which at four years old, sure, absolutely. And since, but you can be forgiven of those sins. And as a result of that, by putting your faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross, then you can be saved and you can go to heaven. And as simple as that was, that's what it took when I was four years old. And so I remember praying. And that is literally my first memory. I can remember being in the living room with my mom doing that. And so, you know, testimony is kind of an interesting thing because I didn't come from a terrible background of horribleness or whatever else that God saved me from. But you know what? For the next 10 years, I had a terrible, horrible background of badness because I was pretty sure that Christianity meant that I had fire insurance. That's all it was, right? I didn't want to go to hell. I didn't want to burn. And I knew that my mom and dad were saved, and I knew my brother was saved, and we were good. Like, I could just check that off. I'm a Christian. But you know, it was 10 years later when I went to a Christian camp that I learned that there was more to what Jesus did and there was more to what Jesus asked us to do if we want to be a Christian than simply sign the bottom of a fire insurance policy and get a get-out-of-hell-free card. So I was challenged by this verse and others when, when I went to camp. It's from Hebrews 12. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... And the chapter before, if you've never read Hebrews chapter 11, it's the hall of fame of faith, right? It goes through story after story of people after people throughout the Bible who demonstrated great faith um, in their life. And so it says, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles. 
And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, although I really want to say author and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Now, my understanding of Christianity to that point didn't have a whole lot of endurance. It wasn't a race. It wasn't anything where I'd grow weary or lose heart. It was simply an insurance policy. And you don't have to do much with those. So I learned that there was a whole lot more to Christianity. And it was in my teenage years that I learned that serving God meant being a witness. Serving God meant living for him. Serving God meant being committed to him. And so when I got to my college decisions, although I had a math teacher who really, really wanted me to go into some kind of mathematics, I said, no, I really want to become a pastor because I want to do something with my life that has eternal significance. And even if I dreamed up the next Pythagorean theorem, which I don't think anybody does these days, but even if I did that to change the world in mathematics, it still has very little eternal significance. But the hearts and souls of the people around me are what really matter and matter to God. And so I trained to be a pastor. I went to Philadelphia College of Bible, which is now Karen University, and that's what brought me here to Bucks County and to Levittown. And I met my wife there, and we settled down. But God really didn't have plans for me to be a pastor. And so I worked at the Bible College after I graduated in computers and then took a job with First National Bank of Newtown, where I still work today. And I wondered, you know, what were those four years of training to be a pastor? What was that for? And then about 15 years ago, about another 15 years after I graduated, I was invited to the elder team to be an elder at Grace Point and, and began to learn that that was what God had prepared me for, that this commitment to be called to be an elder and be a leader in the church was important, that it made a difference, that that's where I was, that was where I was headed. And so I've had the opportunity for the last 15 years to be an elder at first at Grace Point and now in the last... Um, five years down here at Restoration Church. And it has been such a blessing, and it has been so difficult, and it is such a race with opposition when you grow weary and sometimes want to lose heart. But it is the commitment that I know I've made as an elder and what it means to be for me to be an elder. And so that's part of the reason why we've done this series, is to get a witness. It's for you to, to learn something about the elders who serve as leaders here at Restoration Church. But it's also to hear stories from all of you and so I'd like to invite Courtney Nelson to come up. Um, yeah, please, thank you. And share a little bit about her story. And so I start off with hashtag Smirkle, because that's, that's a good one. I'm, I'm going to rock it. We're going to make it work. So Courtney, what brought you here to Restoration Church? So that's a, an interesting story, as they usually are. Um, so I, um, well, first, I'm Courtney Nelson. I'm one of the partners here at Restoration, and uh, I've been coming here for about four and a half years. Um, you might recognize me if you've been here before. I do the announcements sometimes and um, a variety of other um, roles and responsibilities. And um, I have two kids, Rosie and Sammy. They're seven-year-old twins. Wave. Um, and I'm married to um, Eric Nelson, and I work full-time um, at the American Heart Association in Jersey. And Jersey is really where I grew up. 
I grew up um, in uh, Ocean County, so kind of by Seaside, if you all know the Jersey Shore. That's where I grew up. Um, and a little town called Beachwood. And when I was in third grade, I had a new friend. And I said, I really want to hang out with you more, so how can we hang out more? And she said, come to church. And I said, OK. And that's really where I started my journey at church. And um, my mom started coming. Um, and I grew up in a very small, non-denominational church. And it was so small that we actually didn't have a church building. We met in an elementary school um, for years and years and years. And I just grew up in a Christian household. I was baptized when I was in sixth grade. And I said, you know, this is something similar to you that I feel like I'm supposed to do. It makes sense, and I should do it. And as I grew up at this small denominational church, um, my family became really, really engaged. Uh, my mom and dad, who are here today, hi, mom, hi, dad. That's mom I tell and dad I tell. Um, they became really, really invested and engaged. My mom um, volunteered for pretty much everything and anything. Uh, she started to become the leader of our missionary team. And for a small church, our missions were amazing, our missionary support. And my dad actually eventually became an elder. Uh, and as I grew up, you know, I just said that I, I always felt connected. But, you know, to be honest and to be transparent, I walked away a couple times. You know, I was a teenager in early college and was like, yeah, I got better things to do. Um, but as we know, that's not, not the truth. But... You know, I attended vacation Bible schools. I even went to um, Christian camp. Um, I did uh, youth group. I was just really, really involved in church. But, you know, to be honest, I never felt really connected to it. So I, as I went through college, I continued to look for um, a church down. I went to Rowan University and never felt right in. Um, but as I grew and Eric and I decided to get married, we decided that we were going to continue our journey in faith at the church um, that I grew up in. And we did our pre-marriage counseling there. Um, we got married in the church. And after we got married, we continued to be engaged. And my husband and I started to even volunteer more, which was big because my husband at that time really hadn't been engaged at church at all. And then we had the babies, and we had the twins. And I don't know if anybody of you guys had twins or babies or infants, but, like, I don't even remember. Like, it was just all a blur. But I did know that at that point we really wanted to um, make sure that God was a part of our, our family, our, our family um, knitting. And so we decided to get our uh, twins dedicated when they were about six months old. And, you know, things happen for a reason that I know. I'm not really sure why this happened, but we had a huge, huge falling out with the pastor that I had grown up with, that had married with us um, publicly the day of our kids' dedication. So this day that I had envisioned being this amazing, you know, we're starting our, our family um, in faith, really was just a really big embarrassment um, to me and to all of our company. And so uh, my husband and I walked out of church that day and said, we're not going back. And that's, that was a big blip in the road. So after that, we uh, went around locally looking for a church. And we found, um, I think it was a Baptist church, but we just went on Sundays. You know, it was sort of like, hey, you don't know me. I don't know you, but I'm supposed to come. Um, and then at that, that time, we were looking to move, and we were going to move into this area. So we moved here uh, almost six years ago, 
And I really, again, felt that opportunity, that calling, that need to be involved with church um, for me and really for my kids. So we went church shopping. And I don't know if any of you have been church shopping around here. That's an experience. (laughs) There are some weird churches. Weird. Weird, 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 weird. Um, so it was, it was one of those things that I was like, oh, man. And I felt like we went to, like, I don't even know, like 10-plus churches over the course of months. And um, my husband actually was driving down to Walmart and saw the sign on the side of the road and was like, well, we haven't tried there. Let's go ahead. And I was like, <laughs> all right. Could be anywhere. Could be anywhere. I mean, just trust me. So um, we, we stopped one Sunday, and we went, and we really liked what we heard. We liked the music. We liked the pastor. We liked the mission that um, the church was really behind. Um, and then that's sort of where we started, and that's how I started to come to Restoration. So, so amidst your experience with church and then it all blowing up and then maybe shopping all around, how, does, how did that affect your relationship to God? Like, how did you feel? You know, it really didn't. Um, I, w- I never confuse people with God, right? And I think sometimes we fall into that trap. Like, you know, the, the, the church ticks us off or offends us or we don't agree with everything. And so that's it. You know, God, God has forsaken me. And I never, I never confused that. That wasn't God. That was a guy that, you know, made a mistake and... It was, a, it was a, a mistake that actually set me where I was supposed to go, and I see that now. But it never wavered my faith in God or his love for me. It was just like, eh, there, well, that's something. And I also never confused church with God. You know, I never had um, seen church as being godly or God's self. I saw church as being a people because, you know, people make mistakes, and I didn't always agree with what the church had to say. I always didn't feel accepted by the church, to be honest with you. Sometimes I'm a little rough around the edges, if you haven't noticed. Um, but I never never confused the two. God was God, and, and that was good. So how about your relationship to Jesus? What was that like? So that's a little different. So, as I mentioned, I grew up in non-denominational church. I grew up in a Christian family. I was baptized. I did all the steps. Um, And as I grew, uh, you could not 100% convince me in any way, shape, or form that there was not God, that God was not real. Just wasn't going to happen. I I know it. I feel it. It is with such conviction in my, not even in my heart, in my soul. Like, it it is there. You can't convince me. It's, that's it. And the same thing, honestly, with the Holy Spirit. I feel that God is with me. I feel when God whispers or when he kicks me outside the head and he's like, idiot, focus, you know. <laughs> can't, can't convince me otherwise. But when I was really honest with myself, I did not have that same conviction about Jesus. It just wasn't there. I didn't have the feeling. I didn't have the conviction. I had heard all the what Bible had to say. But I really, really did not, didn't, didn't feel that same same way. And so one of the great opportunities that happened um, about two years after I started coming to Restoration, maybe a year and a half, was we offered this program called Starting Point. How many of you guys have taken Starting Point? It's a lot of us. And what I was so impressed with Starting Point is it's like advertised, like, hey, you got questions, you know? I was like, I got some questions. And um, if you're coming back to church or if you're new to church, 
or if you're just unsure, you know, we're, we're going to tackle it. We're going to look at things, and we're going to look at Jesus. So I decided that I was going to take and make the commitment to this Sunday evening eight-week course with two little kids at home and all that. But what was great about Starting Point, it looked about the life of Jesus and asked the question, is Jesus real? Not because the Bible tells us so, although it does, right? Um, but from so many other perspectives, historical pre uh, perspectives, historical documents, different references, that at the end of this eight weeks, it sort of was, Andy Stanley says, you know, th this is your opportunity. And to be honest and to be frank, at that point, I still didn't have that amazing conviction, like, I feel it, you know, I just didn't. But I got to a point that I was like, you know what, Courtney, you're either in it or you're not. Like, this is it. And I felt like God had presented it like, idiot. <laughs> you know, you believe the Bible, or you say you do. You believe in me. You believe in the Holy Spirit because I'm whispering to you. So I'm going to give you this opportunity. I'm going to present all this other factual information. You have, to be, you have to make a decision. And so at the end of the starting point, I decided to believe in Jesus. I just decided it. It was, it was a logical decision. It wasn't a, aha, I've hit ground, you know, rock bottom, you know, life is shattered. It, it wasn't. It was just time for me to make a decision. Either I'm in it or I'm not, and I decided to be in it. So that phrase, be in it, came up as we talked, and now what does it mean to be in it? So at first I thought that meant to get involved. Uh, we talk a lot about it here. We need, you know, volunteer, get into small groups, get engaged. And that's exactly what I did. I really decided that, well, in order to be in it, I must need to be part of something. So I, that's what I did. I started to join things. I joined a lot of things. I joined um, the cleaning crew. I was showing up every Sunday. Um, I attended Financial Peace University, which if you haven't taken, you should. It's really great. Um, but I, I started to go to activities. So I went to the Easter egg extravaganza and trunk or treat and helping with the service days and getting involved. You know, I, I, I got engaged. That's what I thought it meant to be in it. So doing all that stuff, getting involved in activities, did that mean that you were in it? Nope. <laughs> no. You know, um, to be honest, I still felt, and I don't know if anyone can relate like this, but just on the outside. I could see it. I could see other people. But I still felt just here, and I wanted to be here. And I knew something was, was missing. And sure, on the surface, I was here. I was doing the right things I w or acting the part. You know, I was, I was engaged, and I was praying, and I was, you know, showing up and putting in my volunteer hours because that's what I thought would make me in it. But there was definitely still a gap. I was definitely missing something, and I really couldn't exactly put my finger on it. So what made the change? What changed to where you are today? About a year and a half ago, Ross asked a question. How many of your friends have refrigerator rights? And I was sitting right where I was sitting today, and everyone's like, refrigerator rights, what, you know? And the concept was simple. It was how many of people in your life can walk into your house, open the refrigerator door, and help themselves. And if they didn't, you would be offended. Like, help yourself. You're not, you're not company. You're, you're not, you're, you're, you're family. That, what are you talking about? And I sat there, and it was an aha moment. 
because I didn't have it. I had been here for, uh, at that point, three and a half, four plus years, and I didn't have anybody here with refrigerator rights. When there was a problem, I called my mom an hour and 20 minutes away. When it came time to fill out the emergency contact card for your kid's school, everybody I wrote was an hour plus away because I didn't have anyone that had those refrigerator rights. And so that question was really a moment that I sat back and I said, huh, I might be missing something. And then Ross showed a video. <laughs> so Ross showed a video that we're going to show now. And I'm going to do my best to capture um, what Ross, Ross had shared. And before we go into this, I want to say that, you know, we, I kid all the time about being a buffalo, and we all need our buffalo. It's about a buffalo, if you couldn't guess. But this is a silly 30-second clip that literally changed my journey. So I'm going to do my best to capture, I'm totally um, stealing from Ross, but we're gonna watch this 30 second video and I'm gonna do my best to share what changed my life. So, here's your buffalo. We're our buffaloes. And you got a family, your mom, dad, maybe the baby. But ahead, there is always an enemy. The enemy takes many, many forms. And the enemy has his eye on you. You're a target. He sees you, and you see him. So what do you do? You take off running. You run like a bat out of hell. Because that enemy is going to get you. But wait, you might get away, but maybe your kid doesn't. And you, you run, you run, and your poor kid, or maybe it's your friend or your parent, is being attacked. And not, not to be hurt, but to be devoured. But when you're a buffalo... You don't have to worry because there's a pack behind you. And this pack is a big, hairy, smelly pack. <laughs> but this pack, although might be fearful and might be hesitant, has your back and is going to come up and face the enemy and say, uh-uh, not this time. That one, that one belongs with me. That one, that one's one of ours. That one, that one belongs to us. I'm telling you, back off, get off of them, that one, that one is ours. Do you hear us? We have somebody, we have something, we have a power that is so much bigger than you. We have horns, we have faith, and we will come after you, and we will chase you down. And you know what? It's not going to be easy. We're still, we're going to fight, and we're going to fight hard. You know why? Because that one buffalo is worth it. That one buffalo means something. That one buffalo is meant for something greater. And we will fight and fight and fight, and we're not going to give up because that buffalo is one of ours. That buffalo, that one's, that one's us, and we're not going to let him go because that buffalo is one of our children. That buffalo is a child of God. And we will defeat the enemy. So that, so that may not be the typical picture of church. <laughs> but there's no way that what Courtney just said isn't very real. 
You know, the, the Bible tells us in First Peter chapter 5 that we are to be alert and of sober minds because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so that's a very, very real illustration of what you've described. So how has it been? How has it been since you've seen that video? So um, that video hit so, 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 so hard. I mean hard. And obviously because it has lasted and lasted and lasted. But I decided that that is what God wanted me to know because it wasn't just about having friends with refrigerator rights. It was about joining God's herd, right? And I know we're talking about buffalo, but like Jesus is our shepherd. Like we're all sheep, right? I like buffalo because like, you know, they're hairy and, you know, just, it's a great visual, but the same concept is there. And I said to myself, I, I got to get me some buffaloes. I, I have to get, I, this is it. This is what I'm missing. But at the same time, I have twins, I work full time and I don't have the time and I have to clean the house and all that stuff. And I said, I got to get in it and I got to get in it for real. And so I did. I started to invite people that I didn't know over. And I was like, you want to come over for tea? Yay. <laughs> and that's, that's what started to have it. And then all those small groups that I was a part of, things like Moms Unite and all that, it started to get messy, honestly. Because all of a sudden, we weren't saying, I was like, oh, I wish my kid would go to bed. Yay. It was, my, my marriage is hurting. I am hurting. I am in a dark, deep place. And all of a sudden, I had the opportunity to watch all these, these buffaloes come around the buffalo that's hurting. And when you think about the, the movie, it, you, you had this pack of buffalo, right, that came out of nowhere. They were all busy doing something. Maybe they were eating or bathing or whatever. They, were all, they all had their own agenda. And a buffalo comes over and is like, one of us needs help. And they stopped, and they left what they were doing. They put their time, resources, energy, and their safety, and they went and got the buffalo that needed help. And so it's been so hard, but so much more real. It's been exhausting. It's exhausting to have company sometimes, right? Right? It is. But then I remembered refrigerator rights. They're not company. They're not company. And I am so thrilled to say that this is the first year when it came time to fill out an emergency contact list. I had some buffaloes to put down. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for your testimony, for your commitment, um, for the people that you've touched in the congregation. We, we really appreciate everything that you're doing. Thank you. So my talk with Courtney, when I heard it the first time, reminded me of, the, of a passage that it's, it's a challenging passage. Um, Jesus writes through uh, John in Revelation chapter 3. He writes to the church in Laodicea. He says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen and the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. It's a tough passage when you think about, you know, hot and cold. 
I think so often when we think about hot and cold, we're just convinced that I'm either on fire for God or I'm completely rejecting him. And in this passage right here, and if you lived in the town of Laodicea, hot versus cold and versus lukewarm really didn't have that connotation. The water that came to Laodicea came via aqueducts, aqueducts that we still see evidence of in the Roman world, which is amazing. I mean, a tribute to their environment or their... Uh, yeah, my daughter's studying to be an engineer. Thank you. Their engineering ability. <laughs> Not their environmental ability, their engineering ability. But we still see these aqueducts. And so Laodicea is located south of a town called Heriopolis. And Heriopolis was known for hot water springs that were medicinal and wonderful and felt great. And they were not far to the east of Colossae. And Colossae had cold water springs. And so the cold water bubbled up from the ground. And the Romans built aqueducts to bring this water to Laodicea. But you know what? When, by the time it got to Laodicea, it was really neither hot like it was when it left Heriopolis, nor was it cold like when it was when it left Colossae. The water in Laodicea was pretty much lukewarm all the time. Now it was water, so it meant life, and it meant agriculture. It meant all kinds of things, and it was crucial. But it wasn't lovely and wonderful and medicinal and cold and hot. It was just lukewarm. And so Jesus goes on in this passage to say to the church, you say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth, and I don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. When I read that comment about how you believe that you're rich and you don't need a thing, the, the town of Laodicea was. They were rich by all means. They were a trade center. People came through all the time. The people that lived there were secure. They knew where their next meal was coming from. And I'm terribly convicted about the fact that I live in Bucks County. And that I could say, I'm rich and I really don't have any need of anything. I'm, I'm good. I've got this. Yet Jesus goes on to say that they're blind and pitiful and poor and naked. They don't even know what they need. But beyond, he doesn't finish there. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens it, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus' challenge sounds very much like a condemnation when we begin to read it. And, and it was. But there is hope in it because Jesus says, if you will be authentic to the commitment, if you will truly commit yourself to what I've called you to do, then you can be victorious and sit with me on my throne. I want to invite the band to come up as we finish. You know, if it's a hot summer day and you go to the faucet to get a cold glass of water, or if it's a freezing winter night and you heat up water for a steamy hot chocolate, 
And if in either case you get distracted and when you finally get to that drink, it's just lukewarm, it's likely that you would do nothing more than spit it out because it does not meet the needs that you have. And so Jesus calls us to an authentic commitment to him. Sometimes I think we think that simply means that I show up at church. I'm committed on Sunday morning. Or we might slap the bumper sticker on our car or wear my restoration t-shirt. That's my commitment. But Jesus calls us to be so much more than that. The church in Laodicea was not truly committed because they were so self-sufficient. They had what they needed. They didn't need God. We can be guilty of the same. We can be convinced that we're good on the outside, that things are good, and that we just don't need God. We can go to church. We can say our prayers. But we can never allow God to actually invade our life we will never realize how pitiful and poor we really are. We may never realize how deeply our sin runs within us. We may never really realize how much we need God. But there is a better way. There is a way that comes from Jesus, that refined gold, that instead of a facade of Christianity, instead of some kind of a Band-Aid over a sore, we are called to a life that's transformed where the old self is amputated and taken out and the new self is here. We can cry out to God. We can depend on him and we can look to others the way Courtney described to be in it, to be part of a herd here at Restoration Church. I don't know where you're at. I don't know whether you have taken a step to know Jesus. That's the first step. But if you're past there, then maybe you need to think about how you get involved in a way that truly lets other people into your life to see what's happening. Because not letting people in is simply living on that outside like lukewarm water. Letting people in, being a part of a herd that hurts when others hurt, but helps when they need help is what we're called to do, what we're called to be. So as we sing this last song, may we make it our prayer that we would surrender all to Jesus.